Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be talking about the question of whether or not ghosts are real, and how should Christians respond to such questions of the paranormal. It's going to be a fun one, so thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And we really do thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And today we have a lot of fun things we're going to be talking about. Of course, we are going to be tackling in our main B segment the question of how Christians should respond to ghosts. How should we feel about that? You know, it's something that I actually get quite often as a pastor. Do you all ever get those questions? I do. I get them every, every, every now, now and then. Do you get them every now and then? Yeah. Amanda? I think it's been a long while since anyone's asked about it. It usually happens after like some kind of tragedy or a family member's passed. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where it kind of comes in waves. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be talking about that. And then we're also going to have a fun little conversation towards the end on sanctification. A lot of things in our world are kind of getting increasingly nasty. But we're here to give a little bit of relief from that. But to slip into your pocket, we have an affirmative definition of sanctification. So not just something which is juxtaposing itself away from sin, but also what we should believe. And it's a good tool, a metric which you can use when analyzing the people around you to say, are we together in a sanctified purpose? So it's a nice little metric, and we'll get to that in our final Bible study C segment. But for now, for those of you out here who are good Nazarenes or perhaps some mischievous Nazarenes. We're going to have some time with unholiness today. And we've got a couple of fascinating stories today, which are all centered around break-ins. And first up, we have a bear in California. It breaks into a family's home, tearing through their window screen and poking its head in. We've got a little video of this. Get away. Get away. Get you away. Know, stuff breaks into your life. Presumably, Shoot. we hope sin doesn't Shoot. break Shoot. into your life. But Go away. Go away. It may be a bear. <laughs> it may be a bear. Um, a lot of things break into your life. Sin breaks in. Evil breaks in. A lot of things come in and they want to possess you. And this bear breaks into the house. Um, any thoughts on that before we move on? I, I just think that... I don't know. Maybe it smelled something, but like what possessed the bear? <laughs> yeah. It's always fun when a bear breaks in. In other interesting break-ins this week, a family in Florida found that a alligator broke into their pool, which sounds kind of typical for Florida, but interestingly about this story, so just fun stuff about this. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I don't I don't know what I would do if there's an alligator in my <laughs> pool, but this family they decided to call in reptile sanctuary rather than to do anything else. And when the reptile sanctuary comes along, they pick up the little gator and they say, "Well, you know, He's less than four feet long. Therefore, he's not really a nuisance, Um, which that's nice assurance. Don't you feel like that's nice assurance? You know, it's okay if the alligator's under four foot long. Just go ahead and swim with him. He's okay. Right. He'll just take a couple of fingers versus your whole arm or kill you. Like, like what? Yeah. I always like that level of assurance. We're, we're Nazarenes. You know, Christian assurance is important to us, but evidently alligator insurance assurance is important to those in Florida. Mike, you got any thoughts on that? Would you swim with a four-foot gator? No, but <laughs> m- more importantly, you know, uh, a small pet, uh, like a dog, a small cat, I mean, four-foot alligator, that, that um, even three-foot, I don't want any alligators. <laughs> yeah, for real. Moving along, next up we have a woman who won the jackpot. She wins a huge lottery of $700,000, and she did this after using numbers that she received in a dream. Now, this is a theological program, and we're going to break this down just a little bit. Um, she used numbers from a dream, and she saw these numbers. She said in her dream they were spelled out one by one, and she used these lottery numbers, and it did win her $700,000. Now, there's a little catch to that. She had had the dream 15 years earlier. And she continually used the same lottery numbers for a course of 15 years. And again, there are a lot of people out here who kind of say everything happens for a reason. Do y'all have any thoughts on that? If, if somebody came to you and said, you know, Pastor, I won the lottery and I had this in a dream. You know, what what are your thoughts on this? Make sure you tithe 10%. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm not. But um, uh, but yeah, no, I don't know. I, I think we, we should be careful when we put weight into dreams. Um, not to discount them totally. I received my call into ministry because of a dream. So I'm not going to discount it, but I don't feel like that's something we should make many life decisions based well, upon. <laughs> you, you hit on something earlier. Don't... 
be hesitant before you put too much weight into it because who wants to hurry up to be wrong or stupid about something? There right. there are things which we have great assurance in. That doesn't mean that we're wishy-washy and we don't take stands. There are things which are clearly pertinent to salvation. And whenever it comes to, say, a dream or a vision or something like that, often I ask people, what are the fruits of that dream? Because you can kind of weigh out things based on what the fruits of something are. Because while I fully believe God can talk to us in a dream, but we also know that the devil can come to people, evil can come to people and manipulate people through oh. a lot of different ways. And so can you eat something too spicy before you went to bed? So, yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of room between great evil and great good that takes place with Absolutely. our subconscious. And so... Um, and I think I read one study, or maybe it was when I was taking my gen ed psychology class to so take this with a grain of salt, but like there's no morality in our dreams or we can't always like, basically our brains aren't processing that, which again, I don't know where to take that, but it's just to say that sometimes it's just our brain being weird in the middle of the night. And sure. so we have to be cautious, but I think it's funny, like she stuck with this, her conviction for this for 15 years. Um, I'd also want to see the math on that. Like, how much money did she end up winning? Even though she won $700,000, how much money did she spend in 15 years to win $700,000? Which yeah, is still a good chunk of change. That, and the math <laughs> on that, what are the actual odds of using the same numbers in mm -hmm. the same way over 15 years? And how many times has she been doing it? Yeah, those are interesting numbers there. Mike, well, I've got an another question, too, is, is if she's been gambling basically and obviously i would i would i could be wrong but i would doubt if that's the only thing she was putting the numbers on maybe whatever how many habits have she created there along the way and you know we know that psychologically and the endorphins go crazy when when you do win a little bit what will her future look like from now forward and how long sure. will this seven hundred thousand last her yeah, and one of the things that we know, in Christianity, morality is universal. People aren't held to different moral standards. In other words, if it is sinful to dishonor your mother and father, that's something which is across the board. If it is sinful to take the Lord's name in vain, if it is sinful to, you know, to, to kill, to steal, to covet, these are things which are universally applicable. And we find that the fruits of things of God, they give us something which can not only better our lives, but they better others' lives as well. And when you find through revelations of God, whether you're looking through something that you see Joseph when he's interpreting dreams, even when um, Daniel is interpreting dreams, while he does give specific events for specific people, like Belshazzar about to fall, or you find Nebuchadnezzar about to be humbled, nothing happens in those dreams which is against the universal morality of God. Mm -hmm. It's always an application of the universal morality of God. So when you see something like this, you can take that metric and say, well, what are the fruits? What habits have been created? What habits have been taken away? What things have been the real fruits of this? And some people, even though you might win $700,000, will squander it. They'll find themselves in a worse place than they were beforehand. And you can weigh out those fruits. And again, we don't know all the details of that situation. But those fruits will take you closer to the origin of this than will anything that's on the surface. Any thoughts on that before we go on to our next story? Well, I just, I think what you're saying, you know, to really condense it on a, on a more simple level is you know money winning seven hundred thousand dollars is could be a blessing but it could be a cursing what is really important here is what the foundation of the person sure, absolutely. And, and is about and you know uh, i watched something on on uh, i think it was uh bloopers or fails on on newscast and so the the lottery had been real high and they they went, walked up to some of these people buying lottery tickets and what's he's gonna he said what are you gonna do and he said i'm gonna go buy a bunch of cocaine and and obviously you know that was a fail and so it made it on the fail thing but you know what someone money could be a blessing or it could be a cursing it is how the person handles it yeah i, I and feel like um, yeah. There are a lot of scriptures that remind us that the purpose of life is not just money. It isn't. It yeah. isn't. Yeah. All right. Well, moving along quickly. Um, in Flo Almost said Florida. <laughs> this is too crazy for even Florida. In Australia, there was a koala that broke into a lighting company's warehouse. An Australian lighting company had a very Australian break-in when they found a koala hanging out in their lighthouse. And now we've got this here. I'm going to try to zoom in on some of the pictures for you. Yeah, you see this koala come in there, and he's just hanging out. 
He's just <laughs> hanging out all over the stuff. He's like, yeah, I hear that y'all make nice LED lights. And, you know, speaking of things that are going to be a big fail, if this lighting company in Australia doesn't make the koala their mascot, that's a total <laughs> fail on their part. Wouldn't Miss, you say? Missed PR opportunity. Missed yes. PR opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, here in Jolton, we perpetually have, like, skunks, no <laughs> possums. You know, we've got, like, the unfortunate situation where Stanley Stank up here in the studio. He tries to slip in on the studio. Yeah, he slips in on us. Um, <laughs> we, you, you have these creatures come in. Um, so send us your thoughts, questions, comments. If a koala broke into your home, would that become your new home's mascot, your business mascot? Say you're running like a plumbing company. Are you now like koalas plumbing? I, <laughs> I think it's a great opportunity. Um, but that's not all the interesting break-ins we've had. In Illinois, a hot air balloon broke into a Illinois neighborhood. You know, a hot air balloon, it caused a scene in an Illinois neighborhood where it made an emergency landing in the middle of... And this wasn't a park, but like a residential neighborhood. Oh, the thing man. just comes crashing down. Now, look, I love me some Jules Verne, which is only like three weeks over in Africa. Stuff like that. You get a few hot air balloons, not not much in his writing. Um, I love the idea of like an adventure like that. I can only imagine here in the year 2020, you just go outside and you're like, there's a hot air balloon coming down. Like, doesn't that sound like the craziness that you wouldn't believe like a year ago? But here today, you're like, yeah. yeah in 2020, you're like, this This fits. This fits. Yeah, this is okay. What else? What else? <laughs> um, but also, can you just imagine being in the hot air balloon and having it suddenly have a catastrophe and then realize you've got to land? That that would not be fun. Um, All I can imagine is, is you know, those videos where you know hot air balloon gets or or maybe even a parachute just gets hung in the electrical lines Ooh. and I, that you know that that's a nightmare of that thing and you're thinking i oh, don't know where's this thing landing so I've, obviously they did not want it to land there but it, it you know i don't know about all the details i hope no one was hurt yeah i think everyone was fine um to buy sell or hold okay all right so just some quick ones real quick because we got to go we're already past time on the segment <laughs> it's okay um, it's better to have a bear tear open your window and poke in its head than to have a woman break into your house, pet your dog, and do your dishes, which, of course, we covered that story a couple of weeks ago. It really did happen in Ohio. This lady tears in, she pets the family dog, does the dishes, and then leaves. Um, drugs were involved. But it's better to have a bear break in than a, a woman tear yeah, into your house. I'll, I'll buy that. You'll buy that, mm -hmm. Mike? I'll buy. I'm going to sell <laughs> because even though it sounds better, the woman left the house in better shape <laughs> than, she found, than she found it, but the bear left the house in worse shape than he found it. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to renting to people, when it comes to, to having burglars, um, yeah, do, do the math on that one. Okay, number two. It's better to have a koala break into your warehouse than a coyote in your bathroom. You know, we had that whole deal here in Nashville a while ago where the coyote was in the bathroom. Um, but now think about that. Would you rather have a koala, which is a tame, docile creature, or the coyote? Yeah, I think I'd rather have the koala. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd outrun the koala for sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going to sell again because I really would like to have a coyote pup. Mm. And I'm kind of serious about that. Um, also, would like to have another dog that looked like Charlie. So all you out there listening, send puppies to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road, which people have left dogs here at the church. We have that happen um, pretty often. Oh, there you go. Yep. Um, the last one we've got is the woman's testimony on winning the lottery after using numbers of a dream will confirm the belief that everything happens for a reason for some people, regardless of whether or not this actually proves anything. So in other words, people will use this as an excuse to say, see, I told you everything happens for a reason. Well, yeah, because I mean, what, what is the saying that like uh, for those who believe no proof is necessary and for those who don't believe proof will never be enough? Yeah. Like it just it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, that. That was the heart of this buy, sell, or hold. This yeah, will be used it. as a self-fulfilling prophecy for yeah. people. Who, Facts and truth do not matter. I'll buy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, <laughs> we'll have to come back and do like a top five break-in. Break-ins there. Yeah, yeah, like hot air balloons, bears, women who come in and pet the dog, do the dishes, um, koalas <laughs> to hang out with your LED lighting. Well, we're going to be back to talk about ghosts. We're going to have a serious conversation about ghosts and how Christians should respond to that. Um on that note, I actually did a little paranormal investigation last night in a ghost town. 
like on the other side of Tennessee, been all over the place today. Um, and I'm going to be posting that on Instagram and Facebook late this evening because it's kind of a nighttime thing. Um, it's only about two minutes long, so it's not, not super long. But anyway, so we'll be getting to that, but we'll be back here in a second to talk about how Christians should respond to ghosts because it's going to be a fun conversation, going to be serious. Alrighty, we are back. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. We're going to talk about the question, are ghosts real? And actually, Pastor Mike has done a little bit of prep work on this, so I'm going to throw it right over to him and let him get our thoughts going. Yeah, well, thank you for allowing me to host this second part, as Dylan said, and if I uh, mess up, I will be fired. Uh, by, by Pastor Dylan, but uh, recently it, is, it has been said online. <laughs> Our biggest concern is Dan Sprouse coming over here <laughs> and firing and firing us. I don't even know what we'd be fired from, but it. <laughs> You know, but but I think that's our biggest fear. But anyways, fear only God. We'll just leave it at that. So, are ghosts real? Recently, uh, Pastor Dylan and I went on a guided ghost walk tour. Now, this is different from what he was saying earlier. But the question that it, that is going to be asked a little later: Are ghosts real? But before we get to this. That question, well, I'm going to ask this question, and some of you are already asking it. What are two pastors doing on a ghost tour? So, Pastor Dylan, I want you to talk a little bit about the ghost tour. Why we went, what is it, why did we go? All right, so as you said, this is different from the little paranormal investigation I did. This happened a couple of days ago. Actually, some of my parishioners were in Gatlinburg when I was, and they asked if I would go on this. And, you know, I thought about it, and I said... If people are going on this, they're interested in going in this, it would actually be, I think, good for the pastor to tag along and kind of analyze this. And I kind of was expecting it to have a little bit of like a, a Wiccan flavor to it where you kind of get this universal um, spirituality where they've kind of got some forced stuff to kind of be a little bit gross and gory, kind of like you would see kind of with your typical haunted house. But actually, this was a pretty classy business that we went along with. They they basically told the history of the town and some unfortunate events that happened. They didn't really force any ghost activity. They didn't even tell people that ghosts are real. They gave people some little EMF detectors. They gave people a little... Um, electronic magnetic field detector that also had a music box attached to it, some things that would light up. They gave people some little tools and let them walk around and take pictures of some interesting areas and kind of talked about orbs and things that people consider paranormal. And they, they really just gave a pretty neat history of the town of Gatlinburg that you don't always get from walking around. It was actually very classy. They didn't go around and say, oh, yes, there's all these spooks and demons and witches out there. They just said, these are some unfortunate things that have happened. These are some pictures that people have gotten. Um, and here, play with the tools and see what you find. It was it was a very classy thing. Um, but why should the pastor go along with that? Well, first of all, God wants to meet us where we're at. And there are real questions that people have. And the church should realize that God is big enough to tackle all the questions of creation. Our God is big enough to handle all this stuff. And we should, yeah. We, we don't have to go and entertain the evil for the sake of it. You know, you don't have to go to Auschwitz and have a conversation with Hitler to find out whether or not that's evil. I'm not making that argument, but I am saying when people have legitimate questions, not questions that are just being destructive, but real questions, we should be willing to be knowledgeable and talk about those topics. So I'll throw that back to you, Pastor Mike. Uh, that was that was a great answer, and, I, you know, I, was, I, I, I ditto for me. Um, so I, I'm going to ask Pastor Amanda a question, and this is something that I've noticed— and so you know, as we go to different churches and talk to different pastors and things like that, we we kind of, you know, I don't know if it, it always goes to this, but obviously we talk about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. But, you know, are there more of the paranormal realm, I guess you might say it? Is, does nearly every church have a ghost story that you've encountered, Pastor Amanda? Yeah, I think every church... If it if it's had a building long enough or any kind of history on that property, it's going to have some kind of something akin uh, to a ghost story, um, and it's it's a, a fantastic kind of point where yeah, the churches become that uh, nexus. I don't know if that's the right word, but this point that connects the supernatural with the natural, and so it, it seems to attract lots of 
uh, stories and ideas. And of course, a lot of tragedy happens in a church. You have funerals and deaths and you also have good things like weddings and celebrations. So all that kind of comes together. Um, and we almost, inv- we do invite that no matter how modern or postmodern your church is, if you participate in communion and you believe that communion is participating also in the, the great cloud of witnesses, um, I don't know. Ghosts should be visiting your church at least every Sunday. You know, yes. If you're doing <laughs> church right, you should be having ghost stories. And, and I, that probably came out totally wrong. <laughs> if you are really being the life of the church, it's kind of a natural phenomenon that ghost stories crop up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know any churches that don't have ghost stories. In fact, here at Jolton, we have all sorts of stuff that people, I, I mean, I've even seen things that are kind of crazy. We've even got some stuff on film when it gets closer to fall i'll probably share some of those stories we're actually in the part of the building right now the studio that we built used to be one of the epicenters for ghost spook activity Mm -hmm. every time we do renovating at the building whether it be changing out carpet painting a wall that kind of always has a huge spike in stuff and the this wing of the church that we're in right now is where we get a lot of that activity Um, people see a figure over here um, generally a man sitting towards the back of the sanctuary wearing a red flannel shirt. And I'm, I'm like wearing one right now that fits the description. And I'm also the same height as the guy that fits the description. And people have also heard my voice when I wasn't here in the church. And I've heard the former pastor's voice um, when she was not here in the church. I've heard her talking to me. So um, maybe it's just a time loop. Maybe it's not actually mm-hmm. ghost. Um, maybe today is the day that <laughs> I'm I'm here wearing the right clothes to be the ghost. But anyways, this stuff always happens, Mike. I'll yeah, I, I, okay. So, with with all that being said, I don't. I think it's important to say whether you believe or you don't believe. It is important to realize that a lot of times we deal with death and life, and so these naturally uh, pop up from time to time. And there are things that happen that people are like. Well, you know, I heard this, I saw this, uh, just like the lady. I had this dream, and. And uh, but you know even in our scripture we have, um, you know even the disciples mentioning when Jesus was walking on the water and and uh, I think it's in Mark's gospel it's also in in Matthew's and then there's a uh, even uh, Luke has an account there where they're thinking you know is you know he he intended to pass them by but when they saw him walking on the sea they thought it was a ghost. And that's in in Mark's gospel. With that being said, I think it's important to understand that ghost has a Germanic uh, origin. And so we, we do have, and we say in our Apostles' Creed, Holy Ghost or the doxology. Sometimes we say the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what the difference is, one has a, a more Latin uh, background. One has a, a uh, Germanic, but they're, they're interchangeable. The Greek word for that is pneuma, and it can be translated either way. And more modern folks seem to, you know, we translate a lot of that as spirit. So I want to look at a definition in the English. And so uh, according to Merriam-Webster, there is uh, the seat of life. Or intelligence, and so we have that. You know, give up the ghost. Uh, basically, the soul gave up. You know, uh, the ghost and left the body. Number number two here, and that's the one we're going to be working with more uh, in in this uh, next. Uh, uh, well, we got actually got a picture uh, that I made. Uh, I guess it was last. Was it last night? Yeah. Yeah. Night. Yeah. And uh, so. I'm going to show that uh, early later, but number two is it, this definition is a disembodied soul, uh, the soul of a dead person believed to be an inhabitant of the unseen world to appear to the living in a bodily likeness. And now that was more of the definition of the ghost on the on the, uh, the ghost walk that yeah. we went on, and then of course. Uh, can mean spirit or demon, and then it can be a faint, shadowy trace of a ghost of a smile. Uh, and then uh, there's a ghost of a chance. You can use here, you know, left that way. And then uh, there is a false image in a photographic negative or on a television screen caused by a reflection. So now that we're not going to go with that when I ask <laughs> about ghosts on this little later later on this picture. But and I will tell you this, maybe since there's so many ghost stories is a lot of people make pictures in churches when, when you Amanda mentioned uh, weddings and things of that nature. So maybe we're getting some of those for that. And then there's obviously the ghost writer and then uh, another definition is uh, 
they call it the red blood cell that has lost its hemoglobin. They call that a ghost. And but we're going to focus on that one of the disembodied soul. Yeah. So today, as we go that, Pastor Dylan has some pictures. I want him to bring one up. Sure. And so here's a picture that we took the other day, and this is one that was on the actual guided little ghost tour, and it kind of looks a little bit like a body up there floating around. It's kind of interesting. Um, a few nights later, well, it actually was this morning, <laughs> like <laughs> early hours of this morning. I was in another ghost town. This picture appeared on my equipment, though I don't remember taking it. And oddly enough, it's actually a picture of me, which is kind of <laughs> creepy. Like I, maybe I am the ghost all along. Like, and it's it's all coming back to me. It's terrible. Um, when I took it and edited it and kind of lightened it up, it was myself, even though I could see eyes in it earlier. Um, but back to this one from the sky. Really, when it comes to the question of a ghost, you have to be specific. And I'm glad Pastor Mike gave us that definition because sometimes we think of a couple of different categories when you think of kind of a disembodied spirit. Is it something that used to be human mm-hmm. but is somewhere in between being human and sort of a heavenly body, um, kind of in a waiting liminal period? Or are we talking about something which is a conscience-functioning entity which is disembodied? And I think I said those words out of order for what I was meaning to say. It is a something which is a disembodied consciousness, which is nonetheless real, that has a motive. It kind of thinks. And whenever somebody would ask me about this, I would say, you know, as far as a disembodied soul, I don't see anything biblically that gives me assurance that that's real. I don't see anything clearly that kind of writes that off either. And generally heretics are people who want to explain such mysteries. But when it comes to the question of sort of a disembodied evil that could exist, that could possess people, that actually has a real conscience and a real motive, that is something which we all know is actually real. When you ever see a mob, mm-hmm. and a good example of this is when people become mobs, they step into that role. And if you've ever been a part of a crowd where kind of a spirit seizes a crowd, there is a new conscience that comes and takes possession of people. And they do things they wouldn't normally do. Like a lot of times we look throughout history and we say, well, you know, if I was in Germany in the 1940s, I wouldn't be a Nazi. I wouldn't go along with this. And yes, there were a lot of people who were oblivious to it and made to suffer. But there were also a lot of people who went along with this that wouldn't have thought they would have. And what happens is things can seize people like a mob mentality where they are severed from their individual conscience. They're severed from their morality. I know Pastor Amanda talked about how people get severed from morality in their dreams. When people get in a mob mentality, they're often severed from their real morals. And people can do real wicked stuff. And mob mentalities, they are a conscious that thinks it wants to destroy things. It can pick out a target and try to kill that person or tear something down or break into something. It has a motive, it has a conscious, and it affects people. It's a real conscious thing, but it's not the normal human consciousness that is created in the image of God. It's not something godly. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Mike, I'll let you take back over there. Okay, back to the picture. <laughs> there was, the the guide was really good. She was encouraging us to make pictures and then kind of look. And so I had a couple pictures there. One I shot right before there. It wasn't in there. But, she, you know, she was saying, you know, there's orbs. A lot of times we get people get pictures in, you know, uh, of glowing lights in there. And so she encouraged this. She never, ever said, this is a ghost. She just said she encouraged it. So, it was a, you know, it's up to you to believe sort of type of thing. And and so I, I was able to get my, my camera just right. And I was, you know, I was reflecting off the street lights and everything, getting these orbs all, all around her. And I was just having fun with it, I guess, so to speak, and was going to see what her reaction was. And it was a great reaction. She said, oh, yeah, I see that little spot. She never once said, this is a ghost or an <laughs> orb or whatever it is. She just kind of went with it. But now the thing that really popped out was this one um, light or whatever. And again, I'm going back to the second definition, Pastor Amanda. Mm-hmm. You got this, you saw this picture. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you believe this is a ghost? Because it does look like it has some <laughs> type of shape. I can't exactly tell it what it is. Um, what, what are your thoughts? All right. Um, and I might be more, uh, uh, scully to y'all's molder a little bit on this conversation uh, but um you know if we're using the second definition this disembodied soul specifically of someone who once lived i'm gonna say flat out no um 
Now, I think I also tend to lean a little bit towards what Pastor Dylan was talking about. This doesn't denounce the supernatural or the very real, unexplainable things that happen in our world. But also, and again, this may get the pitchforks and the torches out, I think we have to also evaluate how we believe or what we believe in the soul. Um, And actually, the concept of a soul is not relatively new, but it is newer in our faith tradition. Um, Early ancient Hebrews really wouldn't have much of a concept of a soul like we do now. Uh, You know, you hear today people saying, you know, you're not a, a body that has a soul, you're a soul that has a body, but still that's too too dualistic it's too segmented we are created and we have uh different parts we are physical and we are mental and we are spiritual but those things aren't three different pieces of us that make up a whole we are simply a whole person and because of that i do not think once we die that we can have that there is a piece of us uh, that somehow can exist outside of who we are, even in death. And so, yeah, I'm a little hesitant on calling things ghosts at the same time. Uh, Pastor Dylan mentioned Auschwitz earlier, and I think both of us have been there at different occasions. Yep. Um, and if I can throw one thing real quick. Yeah. You're not being a heretic who's saying there's no judgment of the living dead and the dead. I think you're saying there's no default liminal separation that happens. Right. There's no, and this is probably something that was very popular in um, the 1900s as a response to maybe some over uh, people overemphasizing a faith in science and trying to still kind of have that spiritual element about saying like your soul's up in heaven and God's going to like pick the soul out and place it in a body. Like it it just, and then so the reverse happens when you die. And that's just a very, um, I don't know what the right word is. It, it, it's a very uh, it's, well, it's, it's mythological to, yeah. perspective yeah. of what we're talking about. Um, and then at the same time, like I was saying earlier, we've both been to Auschwitz. We've walked those grounds. There, I have no doubt in my mind that place is haunted. Like, And, and I think that's what when we talk about churches having ghost story, I won't discount people have encountered great evils and great also great good. And it is unexplainable and it is scary and it, it's weird and, and it, it is supernatural because it doesn't seem to fit our understanding of the natural but at the same time there also is no such thing as the supernatural because god has created all things yes yeah. and so it, it's, it's it's this very interesting place to build to be in as a christian um and again this is why i think exiles did so well with their characters of Mulder and scully uh, scully is the logical response all the time and yet she is a person of faith Um, Sometimes a little bit more cultural than, or, you know, uh, than maybe actually practicing, but she holds this tension very well of understanding that most things can be explained, but we will always come to the end of our knowledge. And after that, that is where faith should, should live. Yeah. And to the point of this whole conversation, the answer to the question of, should you believe in ghosts? Well, Mm -hmm. you, to understand that question kind of goes back to something I said earlier in the first segment. You have to examine the fruits of something. When you look at the fruits of the main tenets of Christianity, you can go through the fruits of, say, the Ten Commandments. You can go through the fruits of, say, the Apostles' Creed. You can even take something like the song Holiness Unto the Lord, which is kind of the anthem of the Church of the Nazarene. You can look at the fruits of that. You can look at Christian disciplines that people have. You can look at scriptures and see the fruits of them. When you come to the question of how do we deal with, with the question of the supernatural. What are the fruits in that? And what are the principles that you're building your faith on? Because it has to be beyond just a feeling and beyond a momentary thing. Because as we know, feelings, momentary impulses can be wildly wrong, wildly inaccurate. We've got to have something deeper than that. And we've got to weigh the fruits of of our thoughts. We've got to weigh the fruits of how we navigate the world. And sometimes that does mean we take that X-Files approach where you say it's unexplained and we move on. And I've totally become Fox Mulder. Um, (laughs) I didn't think that would happen. I've become a screen preacher and Fox Mulder all at the same time. Could be worse. Could be worse. And, you know, and the reason I went with the definitions Mm -hmm. is because you could very easily say this is a ghost when you understand the definition as being a reflection off the camera that sure. that is putting a light there in the in the in the image and so 
I mean, it's almost like making a picture in a mirror and say, mm-hmm. oh, there's a ghost, you know. So you can, you, you know, just depending on on there. But I will say this, that the church, and this is probably going to be one of our upcoming uh, segments in, the, in, the, in a future episode, and that is, um, you know, that of what is called, uh, um, you know, you know, early uh, d- death, where or what do they call it now? Um, the more common term, oh, um, the near death experience. Near death experience. I think the church uses the term early death experience and all of those things. And and there is some type of um, soul that leaves the body and then you know it, it, it returns. And so there has been some type of research and stuff that the church has done in in this. And uh, there is some data here that we'll look at in another. But I mean, it kind of fits right in this category. Not completely, but a little bit. And these are, you know, moments, you know, short moments that that uh, that they deal with. But in this, you know, this is, you know, the the ghost walk that we were talking about in the history. Some of that was, you know, 1800. Some of it was, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago. Nonetheless, you see the pictures. Uh, and we're looking at the second definition. Send us uh, your thoughts and, you know, is it real? Is it not? Is it... Uh, <laughs> Whatever, you can put that down under the comments. And anyways, have a blessed day on that. But we're about to go into the third segment with a really great study on sanctification. I'll hand it back to Pastor Dylan. And since he handed it back to me, I'm going to be bad and have a final thought on this. (laughs) Give me a final thought. Um, Amanda mentioned something earlier about how a lot of times these questions come up when somebody's had a lost loved one. To my point about weighing the fruits out of stuff, there are people who have lost loved ones. And they they kind of want to have some sort of momentary resurrection. It's it's they want to believe in ghosts because they want some sort of assurance. Well, like I said earlier, you have to know your fruits and you have to know the principles that you're building your life on. When it comes to did you see a ghost? Did you have this encounter? You know, I I, I can't answer that unless God gives me a direct revelation. You know, it's like there in Daniel chapter four or Daniel chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and unless God reveals me the answer, Daniel has no idea. He's just making it up. If not. Now, luckily for Daniel, God did give him those details, but Daniel's first thought isn't, well, I'm going to explain it to Nebuchadnezzar without God telling it to me. He doesn't make it up. Mm-hmm. He, he waits on God. His first thing is, I'm going to go pray to God. If God tells me and gives me confirmation, great. If not, I'm not going to make it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't make up the answer for, did you see a ghost? I can't even make up the answer for if I saw a ghost when I've seen the figure that kind of looks like me now, which is kind of creepy, but whatever. Um <laughs> But the thing is, is there are things that we do have assurance in that are mm-hmm. eternal truths. We do have faith in Christ Jesus. We Amen. do have faith that there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. Of the living and the dead. Sorry, I've got earphones in. It makes my mouth do stupid things. Um, there will be a bodily resurrection. There are some basic tenets of Christianity which do give us hope that you will be with those loved ones again. And that's where you need to be building your life, not just on... Maybe this person down the street who has a Ouija board, they'll be able to put me in touch with my loved one, something like that. Um, But build your faith on the things which we do have rock-solid foundation on. And... And, and, you know, I think it's important to realize, and especially in Deuteronomy, it, it warns us, you know, this is not something that we should be doing, trying to communicate with the dead, which kind of leaves it open that, that, that there are ghosts, not to, you know, so. But anyways, um, we're, we're warned not to do that. Interesting. All right. We'll be back in a second. Alrighty, we're back. So an interesting thing come to my mind is that, and I'm going to have a quick conversation with Pastor Amanda before we get into our main sanctification. Okay. We're going to have like a segment <laughs> B.5 or something like that. I don't know. But you know, in the Mark 6, 48 through 50 text, which Pastor Mike referenced there, when mm-hmm. Jesus, he's coming out, he's walking on the water, it says, when they saw that they were straining at the, the oars against the adverse wind, or when he saw He came towards them in the early morning, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
Now, interestingly, he does not deny. <laughs> he doesn't deny the whole notion of a ghost. And also, why was he intending to pass them by? He's just going to, like, roll by. Is this like a, a like, peel by Jesus? Like, he's showing <laughs> out. He's not here to actually um, do anything other than just, like, a show out. This is the human side of Jesus just saying, I'm just going to show up these guys. She's going to walk past them out here on the water. Like, what what's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think what's interesting um the this phrase of he intended to pass them by also we hear in um in i believe it's luke's gospel within on the road to emmaus and a lot of people have proposed that the idea is jesus intention is to give you an opportunity uh whether or not you want to figure this out and continue to journey with, journey with jesus or if you're willing to just kind of like go your own way but there definitely is a sense of um uh, definitely there is a sense that that jesus is just having a little bit of fun maybe he read one too many ghost stories and was like you know what let's see what i can do um they wouldn't have had all hollows eve at that point obviously but um, no. maybe another spooky jewish holiday was around and he decided to scare him a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not sure what's going on with that but anyways now for our final segment today we're going to be talking about sanctification which i know is near and dear to many of us in the church of the nazarene and if you want real pitchforks um talk about article 10 and go ahead send all the pitchforks to 6186 eaton's creek road um send them straight over here well it's one of uh, our cardinal doc- doctrines is our cardinal doctrine i guess yes um for better or for worse, it is our cardinal doctrine. And I'm not here to beat up on Article 10. Actually, what I'm going to propose is not in conflict with it at all. Well, it's just <laughs> What's that? So that's good. Oh, no, it's not. Um, but this is just a little a little addendum to Article 10. And, and if you're not familiar with Article 10, it is one of the Church of the Nazarene's articles of faith on the question of Christian perfection and entire sanctification. So we're not here to do anything to alter that. Or proposed to, um, nor would I want to have anything to do with those committees. That would be absolutely awful. The idea of inner church politics is something that is a big turnoff to me. I have no interest in. Um, so, but you know, the 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 articulating entire sanctification uh, for many has always been a discussion that's been ongoing in the Church of the Nazarene. Sure, I do sure. believe it, and you know, it's very important to us, but. There's still just a tremendous amount of discussion, or sure. at least I hope it sure. is, in so, trying to articulate it. Sure. Well, we're in the middle of a, a culture war, in case nobody's figured that out. Um, we're not here to get into the, the deep nasties of that, but we are going to give you a few tools. Um, one of the things which we have to realize is that being a Christian is not just about fear avoidance. It's not just about pain avoidance. It's not just about hell avoidance or sin avoidance. But there is an affirmative calling that says we are to rise up. There are aspirations we should mm-hmm. have. When God created Adam and Eve in his image, they were called to do great things. They were made in his image to have dominion over this earth, which didn't just mean they were supposed to be little micro tyrants who made idols of themselves, but they were supposed to realize that they were serving the high king of heaven. And what we find going on when we look at the text that I'm going to read is that when you are sanctified, when you are pursuing perfection, there should be a change, not just in the things you don't do, but also in the things which you affirm, the things you believe, and the wisdom that you possess. Now, I want us to read out of James chapter 1, and I want us to just read verses 2 through 5. And actually, I know I said I would read that, but I would like Pastor Mike to, if he can. Um, So, Pastor Mike, would you read those first opening verses, and then we'll talk about them. Yeah. James chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 2. Be attentive, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. All right. And I got one more verse there. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, Ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. Ah, thank you much. I apologize for bringing in. So what we find going on there is this really is the language of sanctification and being made perfect. There in verse 4, it talks about let your endurance have its full effect. In other words, your faith, it is being tested, it is being tried, it's being put in the blacksmith's tooling. It is getting refined, it's being heated, it's cooled, it's going into the furnace, it's being tamped out. 
and let your endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete. And some translations might say perfect here. Um, lacking in nothing. This is the language of Christian perfection. But interestingly coupled into this, because it says you don't want to be lacking in anything. So it's, it's already told us that your Christian maturity, your Christian completion, it should not be lacking in anything. And then it says, the immediate next sentence, it says specifically, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give to all generously and ungrudgingly. So before we get into this definition that I'm going to throw out there, I just wanted to ask the question, shouldn't sanctification, as this book of James is telling us, have an impact on the wisdom we have in the world? And I'll just let y'all toss that idea around a little bit. Yeah, I, th I think, of course, if I'm understanding all your qualifiers there in your question. But, um, you know, and there's something also that Church of Nazarene makes a distinction between maturity um, and kind of just in general and also Christian maturity and then further on into when we talk about sanctification. Um, and as we talk about all three of those topics, though, we do confess that there is continual growth. In order for there to be growth, just like in any practice, whether it's an instrument or a sport or hobby or, or any artistic expression, uh, you have to keep working at it. That yeah. there, And I think that's why it's important to understand also when we use this word perfect or even in this translation the word complete, this completeness is fully complete and yet it continually is yeah. complete. And so that's why I think it goes back to this asking God for wisdom is because we can be wise today and be completely wise, but tomorrow face a different circumstance, or maybe it's the same circumstance, but in a different light. And I mean, it's 2020, so of course we're going to face a new apocalyptic challenge. Um, and we have to continually come to God for that wisdom. And if we ever want to separate that continual search after wisdom found only in God away from what we think sanctification is, uh, we're going to find we have neither. So. Yeah. And really, wrong keys. <laughs> Um, I'm over here pulling up the alligator again. Um, sorry about that, folks. Um, to the point that we've got here with sanctification, really the argument I'm making is that sanctification isn't just a turning away from sin. It's not just I've got my life in such a way where I'm opposed to sin, though, of course, that should be happening. But it should also have aspiration because things can get a little desperate if you're just saying, well, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. You know, eventually you've got to give an affirmative case of saying what you are. And there should be unique wisdom found among those who are the saints of, of the Lord. And that's really kind of the argument that I'm making. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I think it's uh, Dr. Uh, Mildred Bangs-Wankoop who, who uh, really brought us to a new understanding because when she was writing her book, uh, A Theology of Love, as I've read that, that's a great book to read, by the way, uh, especially concerning sanctification and, and, and that journey, that moment of uh, transformation when we receive salvation and sanctification. And for many years, and, and still to this day, we understand two works of grace. And what she lays out for us is that for many people it is a a two works of grace it's a cycle two psychological movements to get there in other words we are saved and free from sin and yet there's another and it's all by the work of Christ Jesus on in his work on the cross and yet there there is the the purpose and the calling and the the pursuit of holiness with God as a com complete giving yourself over to God that is a second grace that people experience psychologically but for her she says this could be a one it's it's both the same um, work of Jesus on the cross the same blood that he shed so it's one one work of God, but many people's experiences as two works. But for her, that second work, it is that total commitment, and it is much more of a a purpose and a giving and and being God's instrument in this world. Yeah, and now that we've spent enough time on this and we've got into some weeds, let me give you my kind of simple definition for this. And even if those those of you out here in the Church of the Nazarene, if you want to try to poke holes in this, do it. Try me. I'm here for debate. I'm here for stuff. I'm a, I'm a big enough, big enough boy. I can handle some opposition here. I'm not asking for pitchforks to be sent because I don't want them. Um, though, I, I mean, 
not here just being a sadist either. But let's get to it. A little definition you can slip in your pocket, like I'm slipping this pin in here, is this. Sanctification is truly having eyes to see and ears to hear as God intended and being emboldened to act accordingly. So now, let me just say that again, and then I'll kind of explain it. Sanctification is truly having eyes to see and ears to hear as God intended and being emboldened to act accordingly. So expanding that out a little bit, this is a, a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God. It's a work of grace in your life where you have your eyes and ears, your worldview, your belief system. It is fully aligned with God. So this is why you're turning away. You're obviously turning away from sin. If you if you are acting according to eyes and ears that God wants, you're not going to be indulging in sin. But also, this definition, it includes something built in there where you have the wisdom to see things which are wolves in sheep's clothing. You have the wisdom to see things that are just tricks of evil trying to get you to be Eve in the garden talking about the fruit. It, it, it says that the Holy Spirit has worked in you so that you shouldn't be duped by easy stuff. You shouldn't be duped by petty stuff. And also, you shouldn't be wrapped up in things that that are distracting, but you should be clearly working along the vision that God wants. So that's my definition. Again, sanctification is truly having eyes to see and ears to hear as God intended, and you are emboldened to act accordingly. You've been motivated, you've been quickened, you've been giving the power and authority to act according to these eyes and ears. And I'm just going to say, y'all poke some holes in this, tell me your <laughs> thoughts on it, and I'll throw it over there to Amanda. Oh, I think Mike had his hand up. Yeah, oh. you know, I, I think I think you, of course, you you touched on it. the The ears to hear and the eyes to see has to be uh, as God intended, but it also has to be with the wisdom that God has given us, because every situation is an opportunity for us to be active in bringing the kingdom for God in how it's coming and so we are we are that instrument of god and so with that being said we have lots of work to do by dying you know another terminology was dying to yourself but it is your will be done and often self gets in the way so it is that place where we have to be in communion with god and walking with god and in the scriptures and and listening to to God's direction in, in uh, every situation. Yeah, and when I'm saying poke holes in it, you don't have to if you don't want to. If you want <laughs> yeah. to add to it, if you want to tweak it, people yeah. are free to do that. But really, the whole purpose of this is a simple definition. You can slip in your pocket like this dart. Mm -hmm. I'm slipping stuff into my pockets over here. It's going to get crazy. Um, all sorts of things. But really, sanctification, it should affect your worldview. It should affect your mm -hmm. belief system. You know, I realize one of the concepts throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, that I feel like we as the church don't talk enough about is having eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, so I'll throw this over there. Amanda, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think um, another way of kind of succinctly talking about entire sanctification, um, and I, I'm stealing, I think, a line from the hymn, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, um, is, is it talks about being uh, moved by the impulse of thy love. And I think really that's when entire mm. sanctification, if we're going to kind of give it a, a nice pretty analogy, is yeah, an initial sanctification or salvation, those are two words that mean the same thing. Um, there is a process of us saying, you know, sinning bad, <laughs> living a holy life good. But as we dive deeper into that relationship with God, as we are continually renewed in the image of God, as we are continually being made whole, mind, body, soul, um, all those aspects of who we are, um, that reaction to situations becomes more of an impulse, not impulsive, but becomes an impulse because we are connected with the head, which is Christ. And so we begin to act and respond like Christ, which is also a very quick definition of entire sanctification is being Christ-like. Mm -hmm. um, so yes. we, we take all these little definitions um, and they're good little definitions, um, but we also have like four paragraphs in our article because mm -hmm. we have to get all the little <laughs> definitions right. in there. Um, we have to get all the words in the right order so we can, um, instead of calling forth a ghost or a demon, we call forth, um, I don't know, we call forth uh, uh, the, the Nazarendom. Uh, a. Trey Dunning. <laughs> a. Trey Dunning comes and stands in our, our, our living room and lectures us because we forgot to say the word Christ-like, which actually happened to me, not in my living room, but in uh, 
a conversation with the, the district on getting my district license. I never said Christ-like, so H. Ray Dunning gave me a lecture on that. But anyways, um, with all these definitions, I think that is a good, what you're, what Pastor Dylan has provided for us is a good um, definition because I like the language of emboldened because at salvation, we are capable of living a sin-free life. Yeah. But we have to continually work and journey and live into that salvation. And God gives us all of God's power at, at salvation. But we must continually be made emboldened and strengthened and encouraged to continually live into it. Um, so it, it is quite quite a... Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's where... I think the impulse of love becomes very vital into this conversation of entire sanctification. Because it is... It's, it, it includes repentance, which is turning away from a former thought into a newer thought, but it is also then as we have turned to that newer thought, continually living into it and living into it quickly. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't hard decisions that will come our way, and that doesn't discount oh, no. the chaos of life that we have to take sure. a beat and research tradition and reason and scripture and experience and hear sure. wisdom in that, in the life of the church, but it does mean that the center of all that is Christ. It is yeah. not us. Yeah, and just knowing one thing, you talked about moved by the impulse by thy love, mm-hmm. which, again, somebody is capable of that at s- salvation. You could say sanctification is fully living by the impulse by thy love. I, I kind of like that. I like that. I'm ready. That, that's another one. Slip that in your pocket and keep <laughs> it. Um, like this flashlight. Got an endless pocket over here. Pastor Mike? <laughs> Well, you know, I think uh, one of the things you said in your, your definition was sanctification. Uh, what was it? Sanctification is having. The, and, and I think I would add in there having the spirit to be able to see and hear as God intended. And the reason I say that is because mm. back with our previous segments, the, the, the possession and having all kind of go back to that Greek word. And so being, you know, we are possessed by the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost resides in us. And all of a sudden, our eyes, our ears, our, you know, everything about us are for God's use and God's work. And that takes a transformation of the mind and heart. And it goes exactly hand in hand with what Pastor Amanda is saying. But and, and for many of our listeners, they may ask, well, what is sanctification? And sanctification is being made holy. There must be an understanding that how, how do you become holy? It is being belonging to God. In other words, God possesses us, and it is totally relational. There is nothing about us uh, of our substance that is holy other than it belongs to God. So I I think that's very key to that. So if I'm going to poke a hole in there anywhere, I would be saying having the spirit to have ears to hear. Yeah, I like that. Well, one last scripture, and then we'll wrap this up. James 1, verses 6 through 8, it says, But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every ways, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You know, we're sold in this modern day and age the lie that, you know, be open-minded, be open-minded, be open-minded. But what people are really saying is don't stand for anything. Be this doubter that's been here. A lot of people my age, my generation in particular, we've been taught to be double-minded and stable in all of our ways. That won't cut it. That will not give you the worldview to navigate in life. You've got to ask in faith. You've got to have something to hold on to. And hold on to Christ-likeness. Hold on to Philippians 4, 8, truth, nobility, and beauty, compassion. That is truly Christ-like compassion and justice. So not just something that's compassion cut off from justice or, you know, truth that is cut off from mercy, but the true full spectrum of Christ-likeness. Hold on to it all. The things of goodness and everything virtuous and worthy of praise. So we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Any final thoughts or predictions we want to share before we close out the program? Let go and let God. Let go and let God. You know, that's good. Amanda, any thoughts? It's been an oddly calm week for for me personally, and so I don't know. I'm anticipating that next little block of apocalypse bingo to show up, but um, so that wasn't a good prediction. I don't know. And I, I think we've discussed this before. Um, Worry is normal, but uh, we do, as Pastor Mike said, let go and let God. So whatever comes our way, bring it on. (laughs) Bring it on. That being said, my final thoughts are 
We are in a day and age, don't trust anything that comes out of anyone's mouth, but examine the fruits of what they're doing. Amen. Examine the fruits. That'll take you closer to truth than anything that comes out of anyone's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just end on that note. So thank you for joining us. God love you and have a blessed day.